Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Leviticus chapter 19 is where we're at this morning, and uh, we are <clears throat> going to be talking about, uh, well, I called it practical holiness, and you'll understand why uh, with verses 1 and 2, Lord speaking about being holy because He is holy. And the reason why I called it practical holiness is because as we go through this chapter, um, you know, we have a concept of what holy is, but but uh, we're going to get some practical, how, what does it look like in the life, well, for the children of Israel, and of course it'll apply to us, what does it look like in our lives? And so beginning with verse 1, Leviticus chapter 19, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So that command to be holy, it's rooted in the character of God. Be holy because God is holy. And uh, God is holy, and so he commands his people to be holy. And again, what do you picture uh, when you think of the term holy? You know, I don't know. Do you think of, you know, some person that looks saintly? That happens to be Vice President Pence. Uh, he's a brother in the Lord, by the way. So um, anyway, I was looking for some kind of a picture of a holy person, and that, that one kind of popped out. So I thought that was kind of fit. But what is your opinion about holiness? Um, what is holiness? Well, the term means it describes something set apart or common from the ordinary. So something that's set apart, something that's not common, something that's not ordinary. As it applies to God, because God says, I am holy, it describes God's apartness. Basically what it means, it means that God's different than man uh, and from all other beings in that he's created in his greatness and in the majesty of his attributes. God is just different. He's just, he's so, so, so much different than us. Um, he has righteous, uh, he's he has a righteousness unlike us. You know, we have, we think maybe we're righteous. Well, God is righteous. There's nothing like God in righteousness. He has a justice unlike any other, a purity like any other. His love, his grace, and his mercy is like any other. And so God is separate from man and all creation. And yet, the Bible tells us that we were created in God's image. And so as born-again believers, as regenerated believers, it is possible to reflect God's image with respect to holiness. It's possible. Um, that's actually the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When you give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're, you, you receive the Holy Spirit at that point. And then he's not only a sign and a seal of your salvation, it's like a down payment, but he's also in your heart and in your life to sanctify you. That process of sanctification, becoming more like God, more Christ-like. That's that, that's that process of working us to become more holy like God. And so as we go through chapter 19 here, the principles that extend from, uh, these are principles that extend from the Ten Commandments that we'll be looking at. A lot of these, they sound like the Ten Commandments, and some of them are actually of the, of the Ten Commandments. But these practical, these principles that we're going to look at, they had practical application for the children of Israel. You know, what does holiness look like? Um, our goal this morning, and I hope that I do this accurately, is to identify the principles that are spelled out here, and then discover the application for your and my lives. 
One other point I want to mention before we get into this chapter. If you think of the context, the children of Israel right now, they're at Mount Sinai. They're in the wilderness. They're not in the promised land yet. They will be going there. And so right now, God has just formed them into a nation. Up until, up until this point in their history, it was a family, you know, a family, the children, the descendants of Israel. Well, now they're a nation here at Mount Sinai as they receive the Ten Commandments. And so God is defining to them what a nation that is under God, what a nation that is led by God, that's ruled by God, what does it look like in civil society? Um, can you imagine if these principles that we looked at or we will be looking at were prevalent in our society? Can you imagine what that would, how our society would be? Can you imagine what our families would be like if we... Uh, you know, we honored all these principles in our lives. Can you imagine what this church would be like? Just, just think of it. If all these principles were put into practice. And so hopefully as we identify these, we'll be applying these into our lives this morning. So verse three, it says, every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord, your God. Do not turn to idols, nor make for yourselves molded gods. I am the Lord, your God. The very first principle that is brought out here, I believe, is submitting to authority. Submitting to authority. And parental authority is the very first thing that's mentioned here. Uh, it's foundational for a society. During the formative years of our lives, you younger guys, you, you younger people, you know, you, you have to listen to your parents. You have to obey them. You have to respect them. You have to submit to the authority of your parents. All of us were kids at one day, we are at one time, believe it or not, even though you look at me, you go, I can't imagine he was a kid. Noah was my buddy, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, we all had to submit to our parents' authority. It's just a part of life. But then at some point... You reach adulthood. At some point, you're no longer the authority of your, under the authority of your human parent. Now I respect my, like my mom is still alive. I respect her. She's turning 88 here in a, just a couple weeks. I respect her, but she doesn't tell me what to do anymore. Oh, she tries to, but you know, <laughs> all mothers do. Well, my mother does anyways. Um, but you know, I respect her, but hey, I'm a, an adult. I make my own decisions. And so at some point, you reach that point where you are no longer under the authority of your parents. But guess what? You might think, man, especially if you're younger guys, it's like, man, I can't wait till I turn 18 because then I don't have to listen to mom and dad anymore. I can do whatever I want. That's true in that respect. But guess what? As soon as you get a job, <laughs> you're under the authority of your employer, your boss, man. You gotta do, if they say you got to do something, you got to do it if you want to keep your job. So you're always under authority um, as an adult. Now, you know, as a kid, I didn't have to pay taxes. I didn't have to, you know, I didn't have to. I mean, I had to be a law abiding citizen, but I mean, I was under the authority of my parents. So they told me what to do. Once I'm an adult, now it's up to me. Am I going to pay my taxes? Am I going to obey, you know, traffic and, you know, civil laws and everything? I'm now in Rochester. You got to park on a certain side of the street and I got to figure that out every day. It's like, what day is it? You know, where can I park? Um, but you have to do that. Um, I'm also submitted always to the Lord God. He is my ultimate authority. So I always listen to what God tells me. I, I have to obey him. And God has placed church leaders in your life if you're a part of a church a local body of christ and you're to be submitted to church leadership it's all throughout the old, uh, new testament one thing for parents 
and I know there's only a couple here tonight, or to, well, we're all parents, but there's a lot of parents here, but I mean parents of younger children. Um, it is so important to teach your children to respect authority. I tell you what, it makes for a very peaceful home. <laughs> if your kids respect the man, it just makes for a peaceful home uh, if you do. But not only that, you're preparing your children for adulthood. You're preparing them for adulthood because sooner or later they have to listen to a boss and they can't just, you know, I don't want to do it, you know, or throw a fit or anything. No, they have to submit. And so you're preparing them. So it's so important that role of, of teaching your children to respect your authority is so important. You think of the opposite of being submitted to authority. What is it? It's rebellion, right? It's rebellion. Look at our culture today. There's so many children and young people that have not been told to respect authority. We have some kids that draw, walk by here uh, during the daytime, and I know Justin's had Justin's had an uh, interaction with them. I've had several interactions with, especially the, a couple children in particular, and uh, one time, you know, I, you, we've got a mailbox right out front here, and every once in a while I get snow in the mailbox. One time there was water or something poured someone th in there. There's been sticks in there, and I know who does it because I know when it happens and everything. So one day, I thought I, it was like time for school to let out, and I'm like, okay, I see those kids coming. So I just kind of stood on the corner here, just kind of, you know, it's like, I'm going to catch them in the act. And sure enough, they came by and they were trying to break those trees in the boulevard tree. They were trying to break them. So I stepped out and that one kid said, what are you looking at? <laughs> and, you know, I'm like, mm -hmm, biting my lip like, oh boy, you know. And he just gave me a lip and then he just stared at me, you know, and kind of like, you know, I had no business being in his face kind of thing. And then he walked on and I'm, I'm just... You know, I had to control myself. <laughs> but, you know, that is our culture, guys. A lack of respect for authority. And so it's so important. Well, how does keeping Sabbaths, because I've read that other verse, how does keeping Sabbaths and idolatry apply to authority? So the children of Israel, they had a literal Sabbath observation that they had to observe. It was a literal thing. They had to observe it for that 24-hour period. Um, but when we get into the book of Hebrews, in, under the New Covenant, the Bible in Hebrews says all these things that we're reading about in the Old Testament, they're shadows and copies of eternal or heavenly things. And we find out in the book of Hebrews that the Sabbath is a picture, it's a shadow or copy of the believer's rest in the finished work of Christ on the cross. So to rebel against God's finished work is to work for your own salvation, to try to earn your own righteousness through works or legalism or whatever. Um, and, and, and so that is, that is not honoring our Sabbath rest because the Sabbath rest, of course, is a picture of what Christ did on the cross from us. To turn to idols implies that you're turning away from God's authority. To make for yourself molded gods is to reject God and place something or someone else in place of him. People quite frequently do that in our in the world, right? They put they quite frequently they they make themselves the authority over there. You know, they're basically making them taking themselves and putting them in the place of God. So what are we to do? Ephesians 5:21 says submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now that doesn't mean the fear of God wiping you out but that respect of God's authority and so we're to submit to God himself and we're to submit to those he has placed in authority over us um, that would be of course in the workplace 
the Bible in the New Testament talks about, you know, obeying those over you and that, that role of authority in the family. There's, there's, a, there's a, a, an order of, of authority in a family in the church, of course, and in our civil society. Romans talks about, uh, you know, obeying the laws, paying your taxes, you know, things like that. So we are to submit to one another in the fear of God. Of course, God's the ultimate authority that we submit to. Verse 5, we go on to a next principle. And if you offer a sacrifice of peace, uh, a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it and on the next day. And if any remains until the third day, it shall be burned in the fire. And if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is an abomination. It shall not be accepted. Therefore, whoever eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned the hallowed offering of the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from his people. So the literal application for the children of Israel was the proper observation of the peace offering. That was one of the peace offerings, or one of the offerings that they were to offer to the Lord. That was the only offering that was shared between the person that was bringing the offering, the priest who was, you know, sacrificing the animal and putting it on the altar, and the Lord himself. That was the only offering that was shared between all three parties, and it was a picture of relationship. Picture of relationship picture of communion. And so the key to the principle addressed, I think, is found in verse 8, where it says, don't profane the hallowed offering of the Lord. And, you know, if you, if you don't uh, eat it on the first or the second day, you try to eat it on the third day, you're profaning the hallowed offering of the Lord. To profane means to defile or to treat as common, to defile or to treat as common. And so what is the principle here? I think the principle is placing your, uh, re, your, your value or placing value on your relationship with the Lord or to the Lord. It says there, you shall offer it, the peace offering, you shall offer it of your own free will. That's opposed to obligation. There's, that's the difference between a religious observation and a relationship from the heart. You're just you're giving it of your own free will. The peace offering was to be eaten fresh. It was to be either eaten the day that it was offered or possibly the next day. Maybe something happened. You couldn't eat it that first day. The next day would be okay. But that third day, after three days, you weren't to eat it. Why? Because God wants your relationship with him to be fresh, to be dynamic, not static not stale. That's religion. Religion is stale. You just, you just do things, your obligation, whatever. You do it of your own free will and you do it on a daily basis. How do you and I apply this in our own lives? By having daily worship of God. Daily time. You know, how do we do that? What, what does it look like? It means getting your Bible out Instead of just on Sundays, getting your Bible out and reading it on a daily basis. As you're reading it, pray. Pray before you read it. Pray as you're reading it. Pray after you're reading it. Respond to what God's Word speaks to you. You know, how long do I read? Well, read until God speaks to you. That's a simple thing. Just read until the Spirit says something to your heart and you obey it or you respond to it in whatever way. Um, Making requests. Praying for our needs. Uh, my wife had a, 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 a little thing she shared this morning with the worship team. Um, there was a sp- very specific need of an individual that we know, a very specific, very major need. And so we prayed, or actually my wife did. I, I didn't. i got to confess that. She prayed specifically for this need. 
the next very next day this person called us and said hey guess what happened you wouldn't believe it it was a specific answer to a specific prayer request man what does that do to your faith when that happens like god man you're you're you listen you care and so having that daily, daily bring in your requests, specific requests to the Lord, seeking guidance. Lord, I don't know what to do in this situation. Praying for wisdom. It might require confessing sins. Man, having that fresh, open relationship with the Lord where, you know, okay, the end of the night, man, man I really blew it today. Lord, please forgive me. And having that, that fresh uh, cleansing. And then uh, always being thankful thanking the Lord for his answers. You know, so often we take things for granted. We might pray for something, and then it happens, and we just kind of forgot that we prayed about it. We, we need to go back and thank the Lord. The more you thank the Lord, the more you're going to recognize his interaction in your life on a daily basis. So being thankful is so important. Listen, let me ask you this rhetorically. Do you value your relationship with the Lord? Do you value your relationship with the Lord? It will show in how much time you spend or how much effort you put into that relationship, I should say. How much effort you put into your relationship. It's the same with any human relationship. If my marriage, you know, if I just talk to my wife like once a week, you know, like, hey, honey, uh, you know, it's Sunday again. How are you doing? I just, you know, I love you, you know. You think our marriage would be very healthy? <laughs> no. We've got to put effort into our relationship. It's the same with our relationship with the Lord. So... That principle, I think, is putting value in your relationship with the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 9, the next principle. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. This was the very first a public assistance program. God developed it for the new nation of Israel. The Jewish tradition called for one-sixtieth of the harvest to be left. I don't know how they were calculated that, but they figured that out. Um, this is a very practical command for the children of Israel. It's illustrated in the, in the book of Ruth. Have you ever read the book of Ruth? It's a story of Ruth and Boaz. It's illustrated perfectly there. It's God's welfare program for the nation of Israel. What's the principle? The principle is don't be self-centered. Be others-centered. Don't just think about yourself. Think about others and their needs. How do we apply that? Philippians 2 verse 4. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Sometimes we can get so self-absorbed in our own needs, our own situation or something, that we just, we just don't even think about those around us. Well, as believers, we're to think about those around us. Verse 11, the next principle, you shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your, fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. There's a big section there. 
But so much of these commands have to do with the second greatest command. You know what that is? Someone went up to the Lord Jesus one time and said, Lord, what are the, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's the greatest commandment. You just you love God. You're just He's first. The second one is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That that that's basically sums up the Ten Commandments. Now there's a lot of specifics here that we just we just read, but I think there's an overarching principle, and the overarching principle I believe is do not take advantage of others for your own benefit. I think all of this kind of fits into that category. He says, don't steal. What's stealing? It's taking what isn't yours, what you didn't labor for, but others did. You're taking advantage of their labor. You're taking something from somebody that they worked and earned and paid for. Now, our mind right away goes to the big ones, right? Burglary or robbery or something like that. Um, Okay, here's a confession time. <laughs> when I was in the Coast Guard, um, during that time in my, in my enlistment in the Coast Guard, I gave my heart back to the Lord. I rededicated my life to the Lord, and, and just my life changed from that point on. Took a new trajectory. Um, but before that, I wasn't walking with the Lord at all. I had given my heart to the Lord as a youngster, but I was not walking with the Lord at all. And uh, I remember my first duty station in Oregon, I remember thinking, you know, uh, the Coast Guard, it's an institution, it's not an individual. I remember taking some things from my first station when I was leaving. I knew I was leaving, so I took some stuff. And uh, one of them was, I, I, you know, was, of course, they had this boathouse there, it was a search and rescue station. I took this long piece of rope. They don't call it rope in the Coast Guard, it's line. Samson Double Braid, by the way. Um, and I took it, and I said, man, this would make a great tow rope. And so I took it. And uh, anyways, you know, it's just, hey, it's just an institution. It's just, the, it's just, well, I guess I was taking from an individual, right, from my uncle, Uncle Sam. <laughs> so, um, so I guess it was. Well, you know, after I gave my heart back to the Lord, it didn't happen right away. But after my enlistment, and, and we moved from, we were, I got out of the Coast Guard in Duluth, and we moved to California. I got into California, man. I got in, plugged into a Calvary Chapel, believe it or not. Well. I don't know if I said believe it or not, but I did. And I just started growing in the Lord at that time, getting into the Word and just growing. And I had a Zacchaeus moment in my life. You know the Zacchaeus, right? He's the guy that gave his heart to the Lord, and then he's like, anything I've done wrong, I'm going to pay it back and everything. I had that moment in my life. It was, a, it was, a, it was just a specific time in my life. It was, a, it was just a, a cleansing time. Um, I had to go to people because it was my old stomping ground. I had to go to people and confess my sins against them. And some of them were very difficult to do, to go to a person and say, hey, you know what happened? I, I did that, and I want to apologize for doing that. Very difficult thing to do. But it was, just, it was just a period of time. It was so refreshing to get those loads off. I remember going to some of my friend's parents and talking to them because I had gotten them involved in drugs and stuff, and they hadn't been involved. I'm the one that got them involved. So I had to, I just, man, just cleared my heart. And it was just, it was just a, a short window of time in my life. Well, one of the things I did was I thought, man, I've, I've been taking all this stuff. Now, I had this old tow, that tow rope was destroyed by that time, but I, I had like pens and all kinds of stuff. I mean, just, so I go, man, this is from the, this is from the government, this is from the, I took all that stuff, I 
put it in a box and I mailed it to my old station up in Duluth with a letter saying, hey, you know, I, I've taken these. They don't belong to me. I stole them. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving my heart back to the Lord and all that stuff. And uh, I bet you those guys, because I knew the guys that were still there, I'm sure they laughed. They probably had a good laugh about, look at this, what a fool, you know. But it's something I had to do. And sometimes we don't think about things like that. We think, well, it's, it's easy to steal when we don't think of an individual but an organization. Insurance fraud is a perfect example. We had uh, uh, hail damage years ago at our house and got a new roof. And I remember going to the, or the, uh, the assessor came out uh, to check out the roof. And yeah, sure enough, it's hail damage. We've, we knew that there was hail in this area. So yeah, here you go. Here's a check for the repairing the roof. And I was just talking with the guy. He goes, I, I said, you guys get a lot of fraud. He goes, oh man, he goes, we do. <laughs> he said, we had a guy just the other day that came in, he had hail damage on his car. And so he's looking at the car, he goes, you know what the funny thing is? You could tell it was a ball-peen hammer. The guy had taken a ball-peen hammer and just bang. He goes, how do you get it on the bottom of the rocker panels? How does hail hit in there? The guy had just, he had just completely made his car look like an orange peel, basically. And he didn't get a, he didn't get a settlement from the insurance company. But, you know, we do that, right? We don't. Hopefully we don't. But it's easy to do. It's, it's just, it's an individual or it's the government or whatever. Um, do you know why we have ugly red Bibles in the back? Red's not my favorite color for a Bible, by the way. We do that because if we have nice Bibles, they walk off. We, I, 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 they do. They walk off. So we have some, uh, some other Bibles. We have these beautiful, we, for a while we had a bunch of these beautiful Calvary Chapel Rochester cups. They're all gone. They're all gone. I, I don't know where they went. We have one that we've hidden to keep as a memento of them, but they're all gone. But, you know, it's so easy to think, hey, it doesn't belong to, to you know, it's just a, you know, it's not, I'm not taking it from an individual. So what's the application? Don't steal, right? Okay. <laughs> Ephesians 4, verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. I have such an important verse. This, stealing is selfish. It's, uh, and so what's, what's the opposite? Or what does God want you and I to do? Earning something with our own labor and then giving it away. That's the total, that's a polar opposite of stealing. It's the polar opposite of selfishness. Earning something with your own labor. It's easy to give away other people's stuff, but earning stuff with your own labor and then giving it away. Man, that, that, that is a way that you and I can break that habit of selfishness in that area in our lives, is to start being a giver, giving to people. Listen, I get tempted to steal. I do. You probably do too because I'm not the only person. If you or I get tempted to steal, think of nachos. I want everybody to say nachos. Can I hear you? Nachos. nachos. The next time you're tempted to steal, just say nachos. Go, hey, that's nachos. It's nachos to take. Okay, all right. <laughs> Sorry, I really worked on that one. <laughs> all right. Anyways, I thought it was really cool. <laughs> It's nachos. Okay. Um, man, you're a rough crowd. <laughs> Scripture also says don't deal falsely or lie to one another. Don't deal falsely or lie to another. Why do people lie or why do they people deceive others? 
more than often it's to hide a true motive that you have. It's to, to disguise or deceive, to hide that motive. It might be to make yourself look better or to make someone else look worse than you. Quite often it's to escape a negative outcome that would occur, would result if the truth was revealed. In other words, it's to benefit you in some way. There's some reason why we lie, right? It's to benefit us in some respect. Ephesians 4.25 tells us, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So being truthful. And it also says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. In other words, don't drag God's name in the mud because they know you're a Christian by not being faithful to your words, your commitments, your promises. Don't drag God's name in the fame. Don't profane his name by breaking your promises, swearing falsely. That's making an oath, taking an oath with no intention of keeping it and breaking it. Or using his name, of course, as a swear word. You know, we're to, we're to revere the name of the Lord. You shall not cheat your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of him uh, who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. So you're withholding paying someone. They, they've worked, they've labored for you, but you know for some reason it, maybe you're, you're using that money or you're trying to earn interest or whatever, but you don't want to pay them. So you're holding off paying them what you owe them. Um, this, of course, uh, is specifically talking about money. You know what comes to mind is the story of Jacob and Laban. Remember that story? Jacob worked for seven years, and then Laban kept changing the wages, kept changing the agreement, uh, he, you know, never wanting to pay uh, Jacob for his labor. That story comes to mind. So that it's specifically talking about money here. But the principle, I think, also applies in other areas. And that is, do you owe someone something? Maybe you owe someone an apology. I've had to do that before. I've had, to, I've had to go to people and say, hey, you know what, I, I just, I owe you an apology. This happened and I'm sorry, please forgive me. Don't withhold offering an apology. Might be even on the other side of it, withholding forgiveness. You might say, wait a minute, I don't owe anyone forgiveness. They owe, they need to come up to me and apologize. Well, yeah, that might be, like, I, that's how I feel too, but Jesus Christ forgave us of everything. Do we have any right to withhold forgiveness from anybody else? We owe forgiveness to people. And so offer, don't withhold forgiveness. In fact, the Bible says, owe no one anything except to love one another. I owe loving you. I have, I, I'm commanded to. I owe you, I owe that expression in your life. Are you withholding brotherly love from a brother or sister in the Lord, hanging on to things, not extending an apology, not offering an apology, not extending forgiveness. In fact, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. In James 4, verse 17, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. The Lord's telling you, hey, you, you need to take care of this issue with this person, and you don't, and that's the good thing to do. It's sin to not do it. You shall not curse the deaf nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. That's all talking about taking advantage of someone's disadvantage for your own selfish benefit. 
Um, <laughs> boy, this is confession day today for me. Um, anybody know who Carlton Sheets is? Anybody? Okay, well. In the 80s and 90s, this guy was an investor, real estate investor, and he used to have an infomercial about buying homes with no down payment from motivated sellers. And I lived in California at the time. We were renting. We couldn't afford a house. So it's like the program just sounded like that's the ticket. I got to I gotta get this program. So I spent like 150 bucks for this CD. Actually, it wasn't CDs or videotapes. Videotape set of how to, you know, buy homes. Well, once you get into the program, you find out what, they're, what, what a motivated seller is. What it boils down to, it's somebody who's facing foreclosure. Somebody who maybe they're, they've got medical bills, they can't make their payments, and they're, they're in the risk of losing their home. Or maybe they've had, maybe the, it's a wife and her husband's passed away and she didn't have an income, and so now she's desperate. That's what this program is, a motivated seller. So you can take advantage of people that are in those kind of situations, and you can offer them a low, you can lowball them on a, on a house, get into a house, no down payment, man, it's, that's the way to get rich. Man. I read, I, you know, and of course in California it didn't even work because for me, because it just, we just, it was just too expensive. Um, but what it boils down to is taking advantage of someone's disadvantage for your own selfish interests. Speaking about infomercials, <laughs> you might say, man, you were foolish to spend that 150 bucks. Yeah, I was. I, I always regretted it because 150 bucks in those days, well, even today, it's a lot of money. And uh, to buy it and then never use it. It's like, wow, that was a waste. I, I think I might have got five bucks at a garage sale or something. <laughs> Maybe, no, she's saying no, I probably just gave it away. Um, I had a friend. So we got two lab retrievers in uh, California. And the uh, first one we got, it, and then we got another one a little bit later. We went to a kennel and bought the second one. And uh, I had a coworker, and we were, I was just talking about these two puppies that we got. I'm so excited about it and stuff. He goes, hey, I've got a dog training program, and I'll give it to you. And I said, oh, I said, that is a dog. He goes, yeah, I watched it on an infomercial. And I said, oh, that's good. I said, does it work? He goes, I don't know. I don't even have a dog. He said, the commercial was so good. I just had to buy the program. <laughs> it's <a> true story. <laughs> Talk about buying something. Man's infomercials, they can really get people to do things, man. Anyways. All right. He also says, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. So um, this is either treating someone better because it's to your benefit. So I'm going to, you know, hey, they're going to, you know, they're a powerful person or they're, they have some, something that they can benefit me in some way. So I'm going to treat them really good. Or the opposite, treating someone worse because... <laughs> What's the use? I'm not gonna, they're not going to help me out. There's no, there's no benefit to me to be kind to them or to do something, so I'm going to treat them that way. We're not to do that. It says, you shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. That's talking about gossip, causing strife and division, um, making false accusations against another. Again, these are all, you know, I'm taking advantage of someone else to benefit me in some way. We're not to do that. Verse 17, the next principle. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. 
Hopefully this principle is pretty obvious. Love one another, right? That's the principle. Has someone done something to you to cause you to hate them? Maybe someone's done something really bad. And just, just, you just you really have a hard time even loving that person. Take it to the Lord. Pray for them. Pray about the situation. Romans 12:18 tells us, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Do your part to rectify that situation as much as possible. He says, you shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. So it's sometimes very necessary to confront sin. Every single one of us has blind spots. We do things and, you know, and, and so for somebody to come and to confront us in it, it's not always fun, but sometimes it's necessary. And sometimes it's necessary for us to confront someone else, a brother or sister in the Lord in particular. Um, it's wrong to excuse or to participate in someone's sin. And so it's important sometimes. Proverbs 25, or excuse me, 27 verses 5 and 6 says, Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. See, there's a wrong way and there's a right way to deal with someone's sin. The wrong way is to be a tailbearer, broadcasting their sin. You wouldn't believe what so-and-so did. Let me tell you this or something. Trying to gain sympathetic people to your, to your viewpoint or, or to feel bad for you or to encourage you, you know, make you, you know, look like the better person in that situation. That's the wrong way to deal with someone's sin. The right way is spelled out on Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. And I'll just paraphrase it to you basically. It says, go to them privately first. Go to a brother and sister. Talk to that individual. If they don't listen to you, they don't receive it, then involve maybe one or maybe two. You want to keep that circle as small as possible. And finally, if they don't listen to to those two trusted, mature believers, you've got to be careful to discern who who you are involving. Finally, take it to the church leadership. So there's a process. There's a right way to deal with sin. But it starts with going to a person individually privately just talking to them one-on-one keeping it as small as possible hebrews 12 verses 14 through 15 pursue peace with all people and holiness which without which no one will see the lord looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of god lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this many become defiled so the bottom line is don't bear grudges address them. Ephesians 4, 26, 27, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So we're to love one another. And, and love sometimes recall, requires rebuke, loving rebuke, speaking the truth in love, dealing with it the right way. Or, you know, just doing whatever you can to alleviate or rectify the situation as much as you're possible. You know, you can't force someone to, to, to reciprocate. You can't force that. You just do what you can do. You go home with a clean conscience that night. You sleep well because you've done all your part that's possible. Well, the rest of chapter 19 switches gears for the most part, and it deals with holiness, but it's in relation to the pagan nations around Israel and their customs. 
We're going to be looking at that next week. This week has all been about relational holiness, relation, our relationship with the Lord and our relationship with, our, with one another. Again, loving the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength, submitting to him and his authority, valuing his, our relationship with him. And then the rest of this, of course, is the practical application of how do you love your neighbor as yourself? The very practical uh, instructions here. Uh, for the children of Israel, this was practical for them. Of course, it was spelled out exactly. For you and I, there's principles that apply to us today. Let me ask you this again rhetorically, and I'll be closing with this. How do you want to be treated? How do you, how do you think about it? How do you want people to treat you in your marriage? How do you want people to treat you in your family, maybe in the workplace or in the church or in, in, in your neighborhood? Listen, if you have a sphere of authority, and all of us have some sphere of authority, do you want people that are under that sphere of authority who you have some, some sort of, some, some level of authority over, do you want them to submit to what your, you know, your leadership? Yeah, you do. Of course you do. Well, are you a submitted person? Are you submitted? Are you submitted to the Lord? Obviously, that's the very first thing. But are you submitted to those who are placed in authority over you? Listen, do you want people to be considerate of you and your needs? I do. Well, then I need to be considerate of other people's needs. I need to be thinking about others. Are you self-centered or are you other-centered? Self-centered is the natural thing. It's the easy thing to do. Other-centered is the godly thing to do, to think about others and their needs and their situations. Listen, do you want people to be truthful with you? Who wants to be lied to? Nobody wants to be lied to. Well, are you truthful with everybody else? Do you speak the truth? Do you deceive? Sometimes you say, well, you know, it's just a little, I don't really tell, you know, I just don't give all the information. Well, you know what, that's deception too. Just withholding the truth can be deception. So we can be truthful with one another. Do you want people to take advantage of you? <laughs> I don't. Well, do you take advantage of others? Do you want people to have a grudge against you? Well, do you carry and hold on to others' offenses? Do you, do you cling on to that thing? It's like, I'm going to hang on to this, and when at the right time, I'm going to bring it out, and I'm going to just lay it out before him because you've never dealt with it. You've never dealt with it. Well, we need to. We need to let go of those things. The interesting thing here is why did God have to be so specific with these commands to the children of Israel? Because they were bad people. <laughs> I mean, they were God's chosen people, but they are just like every other human being. It's the same as you and I. They have a sinful nature. We have a sinful nature. So these principles are very important for us as well. Again, lastly, can you imagine a society, a family, a home, a church where these principles are Observed, that would be that would be like heaven on earth. Well, that's God's desire for each one of us. That's God's desire for our families, for our church, for this our 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 role in government or our role in this society. And you know, as you and I, as we submit to these things, it's going to stand out to the world around us because the world. This is not the way of the world. The way of the world is just the opposite of all of this. 
for, for you and I, this is how we become salt and light in our, in our communities, by being submitted to God's authority, by, by loving him, putting value in a relationship with him, and by loving our neighbors as ourselves. And this is the practical way to do it. So next week, we'll be looking at some other uh, principles of holiness, dealing with, uh, like I said, the culture around the children of Israel. We'll find, try to find application for us as well. So why don't you stand up. Let's go, Lord, in prayer.